Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my friend and colleague is with me, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. How are you? Hey, Derek. Good, good. Glad to be here. It's uh, week two for me, of course, week three for you, uh, with an amazing start of 2023. So glad to be here. What an extraordinary start for 2023. I mean, the markets, of course, have gone up nearly, what, 35%. I looked yesterday in the top CCI 30. Um, there's just a sense of optimism that hasn't been around for the last, certainly for the last 12 months. Um, and I thought we might start today with our top five predictions each. An opportunity to, and we haven't, colluded here. We don't know what our predictions are, so they may we well don't. be the same ones or they may be directly opposite to each other, um, but that's 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 what we're about. Let's this throw is, some ideas uh, This around. is going to be interesting, Derek, because this is this will tell us if you're into groupthink, and I certainly hope that your predictions are different from mine. Otherwise, we are thinking alike, and oftentimes it's not a good thing. And maybe it's a good thing because it's, it, it also indicates a trend. So let's play this game, and, and I'll let you go first, Derek. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, um, this really sits very well with our view this year, and it's going to be our consistent tagline because it's our belief. And that is that, you know, last year showed us that really fortune didn't favor the brave, fortune favored the informed. And that's what we're talking about. And fortune favors the informed. And this is what the beginning of the year looks like to me. And that is, I think AI will come into use like never before. And we'll see it utilized by millions of early adopters and maybe even the beginnings of the early majority, resulting in potentially tens of millions of users by the end of the year. This will lay the foundation, I think, to disrupt the giant web 2.0 players like Google. So applications like ChatGPT, if you haven't used it already, try it. It's fascinating, fun, and as Nitin describes it, addictive. Um, are already providing search experiences and document generation and program language generation in a much more powerful way than, frankly, the old Google search engine experience provides. Now, Google will retaliate, and I expect it will come out with its own AI offerings. But, you know, the change of the way things are done with image generators like Jasper Art, Starry AI, Night Cafe, which will empower people to create extraordinary images and the ability for documentation to be written in many different styles um, within seconds rather than hours is going to pe bring people to artificial intelligence like never before. All this will warm people to the experience of Web 3.0. So that's my first prediction. My second one is you know, more focus on the crypto world. And that is that I expect to see the last of the giant CFI dominoes um, have fallen and that the contagion 
as we call it, the contagion, the incompetent, um, will play out and settle in 2023. VCs and PE groups um, will find abundant opportunities going over the dust and bones of the likes of FTX and Gemini and um, Three Arrows and, and Voyager, et cetera. Um, and this should see a new normal appear that seeks greater regulations and people will seek greater alternatives and other alternatives to trade. And that leads me to DEXs, decentralized exchanges. I think DEXs are going to increase their use this year substantially. And the reason being is that there's, they're clearly less centralized, they're not centralized. And they're also democratized trading um, solutions. Anyone can trade on a DEX. And I think that will see a change in dynamics, the utilization of DEX is really in line with the philosophy of this space. And that brings me to point four, which is regulations. They're coming. Some good, <laughs> some bad. As governments try to grapple with the fact that this is in a more efficient, more effective, and more democratized way of doing global business. But they're going to want to have control, or at least a stake in how this business is done. And regulations are going to be their opportunity to get that control and state. That's point number four. And point number five is I think investment focus is going to continue on infrastructure products, such as blockchain and layer one protocols. Looking under the bonnet of this technology and looking at Metcalfe's law of network adoption is going to be core to these large investors wanting to deploy to the space. There are many layer one blockchain solutions. Um, and really how well they're getting adopted, their user base and their tech are going to be their defining positions. And DeFi should also be see a rebloom at least in 2023, um, as it's proven to be quite robust as an alternative financial system um, through the collapse period of the centralized exchanges of 2022. You know, while these big centralized exchanges were collapsing, people were trading on DEXs at a rapid rate, and they were trading well and effectively, of course, because there was no corruption involved. There was simply algorithms generating returns. So if all this plays out, we could see a world where artificial intelligence is rapidly gaining pace. People are seeing new ways of doing business, warming them to Web 3.0. The world of CFI is starting to drop away a little bit in people's mindset. And they started to use DEXs, which was the base philosophy of, frankly, this entire industry of decentralization. Regulations are going to have to come. We as a fund, of course, want regulations to come. And investment focus is going to go back to probably the infrastructure, the picks and shovels, as we often call it, um, before it blooms into the space of Web 3.0 and back into metaverse and, and gaming. They're my thoughts, Nitin. Over wow, to you for what that's, you think that's they were. amazing. <laughs> and, and I, uh, so let, let me ask you one thing. ChatGPT is interesting because mm. yes, I've spent. It is addictive. And mm. today there was an announcement that ChatGPT is introducing a tool, and a lot of academics and academia is actually asking the founders of OpenAI, which was sort of the entity behind ChatGPT, as one of the reinforcement learning tools to have a tool that will allow them to ensure that if there's a context or there's a text that comes out of ChatGPT, uh, the tool is able to point that out, which is interesting because yes. it's creating an interesting social challenge. In fact, 
I saw a paper today authored by an individual from university, uh, one of the sort of uh, University of Bern, Bern Business School, and ChatGPT. It's a co-authored paper. And I still have to, and it's it's a primer on deep reinforcement learning for finance. And so, so to me, it's a, it's interesting. But at the same time, you're sort of, I wouldn't use the word crossing the chasm, but also the boundaries between, you know, biological intelligence and non-biological sort of data insights. Right. This is what ChatGPT yes. is, as opposed to us, our ability to think and discern and bring a perspective, diverse or. Uh, so I think that that to me is. Uh, and to what level or what type of impact it has in Web3 is yet to be seen. But I think that's, I found that interesting, Derek, as your point one. So I think it's interesting. I think it's certainly interesting where you, where you, so let me share mine and then we can go. Yes, with, please. With, uh, with uh, finance. Oh, just for the record, is... I just want to say that this, my top five view wasn't generated by artificial intelligence and it's all made by <laughs> a fallible human being. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so, so one thing I, so my first prediction is that the mm. industry and this is coming from, and I would say that I stole this from the thematic conversation that we've had in Davos is around a shift from speculative asset classes to a utility-based asset classes, which means that I think the, the the industry, both from investment community, but also in terms of people who are building projects, will focus more on utility of tokens as opposed to purely speculative value. So the era, at least for now, the era of crazy valuation of NFTs and the board yes. API clubs, I think for now it's, it's going to take a backseat and people are going to focus more in terms of what's utility. And to me, this first sort of, you know, prediction not only comes from a balanced approach where investors and builders alike are looking into this and saying, we need to repair the damage that 2022 had cast upon the industry in focusing, finding the use, like people truly using it, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's using intentionally or unintentionally. So to me, that's the first thing I would focus on. And second thing I would focus on, which is similar to your last infrastructure play, is reemergence of permissioned network on public blockchain and demand for asset tokenization, which is again going back to the age-old debate between blockchain and not Bitcoin conversation, as as you may have seen. And the reason why I say that, Derek, having worked in one of the largest financial institutions that I do now, and the news around me, which is the community of asset managers, investment managers, Larry Fink from BlackRock, which is one of the largest invest asset managers mm -hmm. in the in the world. Uh, and uh, Goldman Sachs issuing their own digital asset platform and JP Morgan actually having their own Onyx digital asset platform. There is a sense of, I would say, modernizing the existing financial infrastructure by tokenization of existing asset classes. So the interesting thing is that it's using the same technology that Bitcoin and, and, and the family of technologies that the tokenization has brought forward will mm -hmm. be utilized or it is being adopted and embraced by traditional finance. And what it does for mm. me is uh, my age-old vision of of modernizing the aging financial infrastructure, but also that leads the, or that paves the path to convergence. That suddenly now if I have a tokenized gold, tokenized ETFs, and I have tokenized, bit, you know, Bitcoin is naturally tokenized, can they play as two separate asset classes for things like, lending and borrowing and collateralization that I should be able to 
you know, pledge an asset and remove another asset because of the utility of that asset that goes with it. So it's tied to the, my first sort of, you know, uh, part. Hmm. The third thing that I have is, and this is where we, we, your ideas and my, you know, we have a common uh, theme here is around heavy handed regulation towards crypto, which I think is, I think everybody's prediction is not just us. Like if you look at uh, hmm. blocks and Masari and any of the research or think tanks, there's a general thinking that there's going to be heavy-handed regulation towards crypto and blockchain and DLT, uh, leading to flight for quality assets, right? Which is basically, you know, again, we've looked into securities and commodities and payment instruments and the fight of what is a security versus what's not and Bitcoin and Ether being in clear uh, at the moment. I think there is, um, you know, both from institutional side, but also the fact that you see a lot of enforcement actions post uh, the again the contagion of incompetence that has you know that has transpired in 2022. We've seen a lot of enforcement actions coming out of SEC. We've also seen a lot of uh, sort of regulatory uh, actions prior to MICA being approved. MICA is in is in Europe, which is market infrastructure for crypto assets. It's a bill which is not passed yet, but you find a lot of European states uh, sort of uh, you know uh, gunning for a a regulation of their own prior to MICA taking effect, which will be for the entire European Union. So you find this sort of pockets of this, which creates a problem, but nonetheless, it, it is it is towards a much more stringent regulation towards the crypto assets. And that is good and bad, uh, good because there is at least some focus and bad because now you have a hodgepodge of, of uh, you know, regulations around the world. The fourth area that I would like to focus is era of creative destruction. And if you look at the tech industry, the tech industry itself has gone through this in several iterations since the industrial revolution. Uh, and I believe that it's time now for the crypto to go through its own set of creative destructions, which is focusing on foundational. This is your, again, this is another synergy that I think you drive from, from you or, or your predictions is around um, focusing on the compute primitives. These are storage. So for example, NFTs and many of the decentralized storage can be stored content if I'm going towards decentralized social network platforms, if I'm going towards decentralized content distribution, I cannot put them onto a centralized cloud platforms. Uh, so that's decentralized storage, decentralized compute, which is providing true, le true you know, level of, of providing this massive compute that's needed for verification, validation of these things. And then eventually interconnect, which is high-speed networking that's needed for coordination of these various systems that are that are foundation to what we are envisioning as Web3.0 infrastructure, right? So to me, that creative, creative destruction goes into uh, the infrastructure investment that's needed, the file storage protocols, um, I would say the meaningful use of NFT and gaming, like no longer it'll be some fuzzy NFTs, it, it'll have some, and we begin to see that now in terms of digital rights uh, for art. Um, in many cases, the state of California has gone towards giving you a car title as NFTs, which gives you some level of possessions and not dealing with the paper instrument at the moment. And, and again, the new enterprise entrance, including permissions, you know, DeFi will lead to that as a result of that creative destruction. So we will abandon a few projects so that we can build something better uh, I sense that happening already in at least in in NFT space. Even though NFT was not widely discussed, I find some really cool and creative projects coming coming through. 
And I would say the last thing, Derek, which is very unassuming is back to basics narrative. So payments and stablecoin and settlement focus. So if you look at the 14 year history of Bitcoin, Bitcoin came into existence because of global financial crisis. It was then hailed as a solution for cross-border payments and removing the friction of movement of value as a global ecosystem. And that led to, again, Ethereum coming on board and DeFi and everything else. In this entire growth of the DEXs and DeFi and the entire gamut of new financial innovations that we have seen, I don't think we still have solved the cross-border payment issue. And so the narrative around basic human right access to money access to store of value. So your, your money is not lost because of some mismanagement uh, or mishandling of the natural resources, the government resources by a ruling party or the or the reigning political party. I think the focus back is now on having a truly neutral state, you know, uh, instruments. So payment and settlement focus goes back to Bitcoin, goes back to Lightning Network, amazing projects last year. In fact, as early as as yesterday, as Elon Musk has has hinted uh, to use to use Twitter, which has been a long-standing sort of conversation in, in in our circles, is to use these social networks to be able to move money, uh, and that has been talked about by Block, uh, which is Square, uh, and and again, I think some amazing innovations that has happened in Africa this year uh, in use of Lightning networks, and of course, uh, Stablecoin and CBDC have been quite dominant in this conversation. Uh, both in terms of a much more viable asset class that's uh, acceptable by the regulatory sort of forces around the world, especially if it's backed by a bank and if it's sort of has the same prudential treatment as cash and fiat does. Mm. And of course, CBDC is is uh, has been the conversation for quite some time. I believe this will be the year uh, where you will be back to payment focus. And again, you know, I'll say one more thing before I take a pause, Derek, is that $7 trillion were transacted using stablecoin last year. So $7 trillion exchanged hands. The largest trading token has been stablecoin. And so I think it's 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 only going to, you know, you know, the force is only going to get larger. The question becomes is, is it concentrated in the West or is it going to be evenly distributed across the world? So I'll pause here to see if 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 these five predictions even make sense. No, they make total sense, of course. It's intriguing to see that while um, we're looking in this payment solution area, we're looking to democratize um, payments and cross-border payments, um, we assume that each one of the governments is um, centralized um, and focused on their own position on these things and they intend to control everything. And, and that may not necessarily be the case. Some governments around the world are looking at trying to um, get into a different payment system that aren't based upon, say, the US dollar, petrol do petrodollar. And we see that in Brazil. Um, they've recently announced um, that uh, they're, they're accepting um, an alliance with MasterCard and Binance to yeah. provide a token solution-driven credit card that's outside sure. the realm of, of the government. It's intriguing in the US that the US spends nearly just under a billion dollars within the central bank um, on technology development. It's a lot of money. They've got 5,000 developers there that develop um, in that wow. space. 
And so those developers are going to be looking constantly at what the hell's happening in decentralized finance. I did DeFi, not so. know that the uh, Federal Reserve has 5,000 developers. I'd like to see them. I, I'm, I'm central bank. In the air. Central yeah, banks, yeah. They call the central bank. Um, and, and, it's, and its budget is um, just under a billion dollars, apparently, in technology development. And that's wrapped around mostly um, around this world of payment, of course. Um, so that's intriguing. Um, and so this is in all in this mix of cross-border payment systems, government controlled environments, regulations, and, and the freedom to, to trade without, if possible, in some areas. And of course, you and I also talk within our realm, our realm of what happens in the Australian regulations, English regulations, European regulations, American regulations. But that's not necessarily what's happening in South Korea. It's not necessarily what's happening in China. It's not necessarily what's happening sure. in Indonesia. They're quite different sets of regulations. And I believe, so, I think NAB in Australia has, uh, I mean, they've gotten clearance correct. from RBA to issue their own stablecoin, which I think is a movement that we've been just discussing. Like every every bank begins to issue a digital fiat of, you know, which represents the underlying currency, then it becomes ubiquitous. And that's, a you know, that alone, I think, will pave the path for rails. It'll pave the path for wallets. Yes. Uh, and uh, the movement has begun, I, th I think. Yes. Look, I wonder, Nitin, whether that's a, a transitional technology or whether that's going to be a future. Because if you look at history of banking in America, which you sure will have done, right through <laughs> the 1800s, et cetera, um, the US uh, banks, of which there were hundreds of them, often issued their own notes. And it wasn't until the Federal Reserve came in that took over sure. that essentially and issued the US dollar, et cetera. But they were issuing notes of the Bank of West Virginia, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what's interesting, Derek, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going through the regulatory and compliance elements around stablecoin. So what happens? Who issues stablecoins? Japan actually has. Mm -hmm. a, and then I stumbled upon this document, which is what you're talking about here, that uh, until a certain time, till Federal Reserve was in existence, the banks were able to issue their own notes, and that was stopped. And it became a it it came back to being a law against seventies, I think. This is early seventies, uh, mm -hmm. which is not uh, just the recent past. Mm. And apparently, banks can issue their own notes, and which mm. to me is super interesting from that perspective because if they can issue their own notes, and I don't mean as in currency notes, but notes as in paper instruments that is an IOU of sorts, right? And so instead of Federal Reserve giving you an IOU, it's the bank giving you an IOU and that's completely fine and legal. Um, from, the, from a legal and compliance perspective, a bank can definitely issue a stable coin in the US under that yeah. regulatory yeah. framework. And I was shocked and surprised because if that's the case, then there is a precedence, there is sort of a, a model that can be embarked upon in absence of a clear-cut regulation, unlike Japan, because Japan actually has a specific to say only banks can issue stable coins. It has to be backed with fiat in a custody account. So they have all these sort of you know measures to ensure there's a prudential treatment of, of fiat. So I think you're, you're so spot on. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it'll be intriguing. Um, now, Nitin, uh, you attended Davos. And yes. we covered some of that. And we've got about 10 minutes to cover, you know, more detail of that. I'd be really keen to see what you thought Davos's sort of high level hits were with regards to, um, you know, the cryptocurrency world going forward. So let me cover this, Derek. Uh, I, I, I had a keynote. 
uh, in Casper Labs, which is another amazing layer one protocol. They hosted this event. And I spent some time in crafting this. And I will tell you this as a part of experimentation, Derek. I created this deck using ChatGPT, believe it or not. And I'm not Fantastic. kidding you. And it yep. took me longer to create this than if I had created this with my own acumen. And the reason for that is you have to be a domain expert. You need to know what to ask and you need to know what to extract because not everything that it spits out is pertinent, it's relevant or true in some cases. And to me, there was, a, there was an experiment which I think was well worth the time in, in, in digging into what ChatGPT is all about as a reinforcement learning platform. Yes. So, so in this case, I, I, it's a short deck. I had, you know, as everything else in Davos, you only have short spurts of these conversations and keynotes. And like, it's about, I had given, I was given 10 minutes and I created like four or five slides that looks into what do, and the theme was, what do competent people, like many of us who don't have star power, but we've been at this, at this for almost about 10 years or more. What have we been doing to progress the industry forward? And the failings of the likes of SBF and many of these folks who had the, the avenue, the acumen, or in some cases, the avenue to be able to influence regulators. Uh, and they mm. completely uh, did not exploit that avenue, both in terms of their star power, but also in terms of their access to regulators, access to lawmakers. And they never took advantage of that. And so I created this deck to build a balanced perspective. And I said, you know, hey, uh, and if you're on YouTube, you can see the deck, but if not, then I want to set the stage of what happened in 2022, starting in May, and I'm not going to discuss in the detail, but we had Luna collapse, which was a USD peg to a dollar. And there was some crisis where completely bad tokenomic system and bad ill-governed uh, model. And a month later, we had Celsius fiasco, where Celsius was a result of this Luna and UST collapse, where everything was over, you know, extended. Uh, and the the dominoes essentially began to fall at the time, uh, if you if you recall, when we had enough conversation on the space. And then we yes. had 3AC is the next domino to fall as a hedge fund, which was ongoing liquidation or extended its, its, you know, and this is the circular sort of uh, you know, economy that we're talking about, the fact that everybody's lending and borrowing from each other and there was no the real- famous rehypothecation. That's right. It was rehypothecation and they actually never had any right collateral management and risk models built into the system. And it was quiet, while they're still reeling from Luna, Celsius and 3AC collapse. Uh, November is when we get hit with FTX. It is like completely- a messy situation where it's everything was exponentially higher with FTX and FTX itself had a contagion impact of 650 different companies, various hedge funds. And we begin to still see that with the likes of, you know, BlockFi and with the likes of, you know, Gemini and Genesis and, and uh, the digital currency group, uh, which is still effect being reeling in from the three AC and FTX collapse. Mm. But in all of this stuff, I looked into other scams, other things that essentially, went wrong in 2022. Um, and if you look at the 3AC FTX Luna, yes, they were in billions, but they were still smaller compared to other hacks. So these are Axie Infinity hack and the Wormhole hack and the Nomad and the Beanstalk and the Wintermute. Uh, many of these hacks collectively were much bigger in magnitude and scope, but they were nameless because there were no there was no SBF behind them. There was no sort of Daquan behind any of these things. And I began to evaluate to say, which is worse? 
uh, of course, the Bernie Madoffs are definitely was a straight straight back fraud. But do sh should we then discern between the straight up fraud with protocol design deficiencies and technical hacks and to bad tokenomic design, which has been exploited by a few players who are well versed with the industry and who have the acumen to be able to go and uh, exploit these protocols, whether they, you know, in case of Aviram, for example, who was manipulating mango markets, uh, which is the last 100 million went in that whole fiasco. And then devising risk factors and social media platform. These were all avenues and tools used by, and then I was astounding in my research to look into that, the 15 crypto scams per hour. So by the time we're done wow. with this, with this uh, podcast, there'll be seven crypto scams happen somewhere in the, in the cryptosphere, uh, which was to me, was an amazing amount of money. 72% of stolen money came from DeFi protocol. So no longer were the, the wallets, which is, was the case two or three years back, were the weakest link as us as humans because of lost keys and your browser being compromised. A lot of this was systemic to DeFi protocols, right? And again, 97% of all stolen cryptocurrency has been acquired from DeFi protocols. And that made me think, what should we focus on? So this, your assertion of the prediction that we talk about is utility and going back to basics and building uh, sort of a much more resilient infrastructure. I think, uh, you know, and you mentioned this in your sort of predictions with DEX and DeFi, there will be a lot of a lot more focus now on protocol de design and, and token tokenomics and token design frameworks. Uh, but at the same time, what's also interesting, Derek, is that all these protocols that is that's listed on the slide that I mentioned, they all have gone through their checks from whether it's sort of the code audits or uh, the coin audits and folks who audit the code for resiliency and safety. And what's interesting is that while technically these protocols were sound, uh, they had weak tokenomic systems that could be exploited. So it had nothing to do with codes and your code audits and your code scans would have not caught these problems. You have to have the, that domain expertise and you have to have intrinsic knowledge of these protocols and systems to be able to exploit them. To me, that was something that I think the industry should, should reconcile with what we need to focus on as we develop mm. new products and new ecosystems. Mm. And then I speaking to focus on rug pulls. Rug pulls was a huge problem last year. Uh, generally speaking, you have hard rug pull and soft rug pulls. Uh, so soft rug pulls generally are social engineering tools, offering a job offer, as you may have seen, or using you know Twitter and Discord and, and creating sort of this fake movement around a token to be able to trick people in thinking the token has a demand and looking into uh, making false claims and announcing partnership that don't exist. These are all one way to spruce off the value of a token versus the hard rug pulls that are codified into the token design for preventing buyers from reselling the tokens or you know letting developers establish the fees or changing the transaction fees or creating hidden transfers uh changing the total supply after the launch of the tokens these are hard rug pulls which actually are not necessarily technical flaws but economic flaws of the protocols which has been largely ignored uh, by the technical community per se right and i also always go back to the whole moniker, uh, Derek, that we are building a value system. And so it's value transfer. And if this value transfer happens to be native to these blockchains, then these are the focus areas that we ought to focus on. So my focus, again, for 2023 is 
tokenomics, token design, figuring out as to what could be flaws in token systems, which is similar to our economic system that has been that, that have been designed. And if you're a student of 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 economic history, you realize that that many nations and nation states and many of the kingdoms in the past have been ruined because they never really had a, a decent economic model of of you know a balanced approach between you know how do you earn how do you spend and if there's an imbalance between any of those two or you have a loophole then that actually leads to degradation of of society but also human effort in building societies and i i i equate uh, at, you know this juncture of where we are in the crypto to that 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 gravity of 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 the human effort uh, that oftentimes is wasted and then the fallout, what happens with all these stuff that happened in 2022? Well, for one, in which we both had a prediction, is array of action from Global College of Regulators, right? 40 bills in US Congress, MICA and EU, uh, a huge slew of regulation ranging from tax to reporting and to prudential regulation to energy uh, you know, uh, equation and government trying to control what it could be used for mining versus anything else and financial stability and accounting rules. Uh, and overall, a broad brush categorization of reputational damage to the entire industry, right? So mm -hmm. not only have people lost money, people have lost interest, many of the people have left the industry, given a, and tarnished the name of the industry. And this is where I think I take it personally, where many of us, that includes me and you, Derek, we have, mm. what we have done with portal asset management, whatever I've done in my career, we've tried to do the right things and having the right risk model frameworks. And that's why I think none of the contagion of incompetence, 3AC, Luna, uh, FTX has impacted portal asset management. That's because we have the risk models in place for us to not being so easily mm. you know, impacted by these things. So that, that's the fallout. And but the damage to the brand the name is damage to brand is so so strong. This is the the challenge. Um, yet in many cases, it's uh, you know it's 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 not fair that that damage has occurred. It is um, when you see major decentralized or major centralized locations that are getting damaged. The area we should be focusing on, looking at this, is the area relating to the the actual algorithms and the code. Foods and the, as you call it, the soft rug pulls, the hard rug pulls, and the and the um and the code hacks, because that is the infrastructure. That is what we're actually dealing with. That is what needs to be fixed and resolved. It's a tragedy that these major decentralized locations with um, centralized organizations with colorful entrepreneurs um, that I've sort of referred to in the past are likely to go from penthouse to prison in the next um, you know, 12 months to two <laughs> <I like> years. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's impacted us too. And, and it's very annoying. However, um, one has to realize that fabulous saying, and that is this too will pass because those large organizations, they will pass, they'll go through their legal aspects, people will be penalized through it, I, I hope, or I, if we're appropriate. Um, and then we're back to this thing, which is a global market and, and an opportunity to democratize assets and to see fair trading along the way. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that brand damage is a big deal, um, but issue, it yeah. will pass. No, I, I agree. And I also think that the whole reputational damage to the entire industry, like for us to go and speak to anyone on, a, let's say, crypto hedge fund, uh, the general tendency is no more take a break. No one wants to hear about anything or new ideas, and which is not the case two years back. And I evaluated mm -hmm. as to the number of people <clears throat> impacted, as you see here. There's close to about 4 million people, small and large investors alike. Uh, and I can only, I mean, of course, we in the industries or you, you, you hear from your own 
folks who reach out to you, who look up to you and who ask you like, hey, what what happened? What happened? You know, and I've seen yes. many of them who actually have exited because they've lost some, in some cases, life savings. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, you, it all will take time to rebuild and we have to do all the mm. right things moving forward. And I, as an ending sort of note, I provided some prescriptive approach because you simply cannot, you know, poo-poo on the industry and just say, hey, these are all things that went wrong is, okay, as a, as a professional, how do we provide a, a, a avenue for the industry to govern itself? And so to me, I look into devising a crypto capital market structure. And I've written papers on this topic in the past, as you know, Derek, is devising a crypto capital market structure and convincing innovation narratives in the sense that our existing financial system has a market structure. Uh, and you know we need to have something similar for crypto so we understand the various players and their roles and their responsibilities for that ecosystem, which doesn't is not formally established today. Second thing is rethinking the stablecoin. Uh, we've brought money from the traditional banking world with fiat on ramp off ramp, uh, and we need to rethink stablecoin because now we are not only inheriting the liquidity challenges and the global macro challenges, but also the role of stablecoins. We should look into again pricing uh, the assets in native crypto, uh, which are truly liquid and truly ubiquitous. Things like Bitcoin and Ether, uh, and when you price the asset in its certain denomination, then it, its risk models change as opposed to pricing everything in USD. And if inflation takes over, then it actually has a similar impact on our industry as well. And then looking into you know, robust crypto market data, which again is very siloed, very sparse, very sort of uh, spread across the world. And we need to have a much more under, you know, analysis, insights, uh, collection, aggregation, modeling of this data, which we have done internally, of course, for portal asset management, but I, I would like this to be a much more ubiquitous accessible to every individual who's an investor, who's looking in the space uh, from a utility perspective, but also looking into this as a market observant uh, and a participant. And the last thing I would say is, you know, the industry has to self-regulate, uh, relying upon SEC and CFTC and, and European Central Bank to issue a regulatory is, is, may not be the best approach. I think the industry itself has to be proactive in governing itself exactly what financial service industry in the early days did with things like FINRA and SIPC, like organizations is to have our own self-regulatory organization, uh, but providing guidelines and guardrails. And there were some early days initiatives in the US and that has come to a halt, but I think that that should, that should restart. So I'll pause here, Derek, and th that is like my, my messaging in the two or three panels that I was in opining on where the industry should go and the keynote that I that I that I that I uh, presented to the audience to say hey you know not oh, everything is bad we'll recover and you can rely upon you know competent people like many of us who have been heads down building the industry from ground up so I'll, that that was a super interesting conversation got amazing feedback of course uh, when you get feedback you also look for critiques and I have critiques too and I take them both in very positive sort of stride because you need to have that opposing perspective and point of view as well. The very first thing you've done is acknowledge that there's a real issue within the industry in 2022 and leading up to that. And that's there's two parts. And that, of course, is the issue of centralized finance and the issue of, of um, fraud and code uh, failures within decentralized finance. And both have to be acknowledged uh, that they're major parts. Um, and then, then the fact is that there's still the basis of this industry still exists, and that is the democratization of assets globally. 
and the freedom of people to empower themselves to manage their own assets. This is something that I think in 50 or 100 years' time, 50 at the most, really, they'll look back at this period of time and they say, what you really did let the banks own all what you have? You really did let third-party <laughs> institutions control your life in, to this level? I'm not talking about being radical here. I'm just simply taking control of your own assets. Um, so I, I do think that the CEO of BNY Mellon said it very well um, on January the 13th this year when he turned around and said ignoring digital assets would be like sticking with paper over computers. And that's a fact. That's what it will be like. Sure. And so sure. this is just part of the journey. It's a rough part of the journey. And it's one that we all have to acknowledge. You're doing an exceptional job of acknowledging it when you're sitting in front of, standing in front of an audience saying, this has been the challenge. This is where we're heading. Uh, but when you do see these large names like BNY Mellon and so many others still participating in this space, working out where they can be relevant in it and looking at the sort of the digital horizon ahead of them, um, you realize that it's here to stay. And so, again, fortune favors not the brave, but the informed. Um, informed. And we need to stay like informed on the way through and, uh, and navigate our path. Next week, Nitin, we have uh, Henrik Anderson and Tim Johnson coming from Apollo Capital. And Apollo Capital is a very bright group of people that invest often in early stage tokens. And they've got a view of the industry and a view of early stage investment, um, which is really um, quite interesting and very interesting, in fact. And so we've got them on and we look forward to them joining us. And we'll probably be rolling our sleeves up this time and getting back to what's happening and, and how it's happening. So, Nitin, thanks very much. Always great to have your insights of traveling around the world. As I said, you're, you're the most you're the most traveled and attended of conferences people I know. Um, before you turn around exactly. and you say, you know, for, for people with uh, with star power, Nitin, you have star power. <laughs> you have star power. I'm glad you think that way, Derek. I'm glad you think that way. But uh, uh, glad to be here again and great chat. And looking forward to next week because that external perspective, sharing perspective is one thing that we do on this. So, and I think the theme that you have so eloquently laid out, Derek, is the luck favors the informed. And our effort for the rest of the year is going to be focusing on signals and information that can lead to educate our audiences uh, more than anything else. Mm. Mm. And by the way, for the audience, um, if you uh, would like to come on to the show and you've got something to contribute in this particular space, we'd be delighted to hear from you. If you've got questions and you've got comments, we are extra delighted to hear from you. Just simply contact us on the uh, details at the end of this program and we will reply back, we promise. All right. Look forward to seeing you next week and catching up with Henrik care, and Derek. Tim and have a great week, Nitin. Bye, Derek. Take care. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.